Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot. Where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Welcome home, Brains. There's only one requirement to hang out on the edge, is that you open your big brain and close your small mind. Did you bring your thinking caps? It's time to put them on, because the conversation starts It's nice to see you. You've dropped in on our spot, the place where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. And today we're back in Australia with Beck Perros. I'm so glad to have her here. She is a phenomenal writer. And she has a beautiful quote. She says, I'd rather die of thirst than to drink from a cup of mediocrity. Nobody wants to be average. We want to be extraordinary, especially at a particular age in our life. You know, we've lived and been reckless in our young years. We've nurtured our family in the middle. As we get to a particular age, 50 and over, it's our time to shine. It's our time to be beautiful, to write, to sing, to work, to laugh, to dance. We're going to talk about all that with Becky and more. Thanks so much, Beck, for being here with us on The Edge. And thank you for having me, April. It's um, a beautiful day down here in Oz. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be fantastic to spend the next hour with you talking about all things us. Exactly. All things us. So um, let's talk about how you show up in the world. Sure. So I have to tell you the short version because so much has happened in my life. I um, grew up in a very... Uh, very poor childhood, I suppose. Uh, domestic violence, alcohol abuse, drug abuse. You know, my father had me dealing weed out the caravan at, at the age of 10 kind of thing to give you an idea of, you know, my life. I think in America you call that kind of a trailer park life and I don't mean to offend people, but it, you know, that sort of image that comes with that. I was, I, was, I was living it. So, you know, I kind of don't feel like it's offensive. I was in that sort of space. So I had a real drive to not be that and not be in that, um, which has, you know, given me a, an extensive career. So I, I got into engineering when I finished high school, I wanted to get into university. I was looking for the big bucks to get away from home and kind of be as far from poverty as I could. And that was, you know, I got there. And then the very next year I got diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, a very severe and aggressive type. And, you know, I'm 18, I'm just getting out of that whole, you know, horror sort of circumstance of my childhood. I've just moved out of home to try and escape it all and this, this, this hit. So I was a, a very angry young woman, to quote a, a beautiful woman in a movie a long time ago. Um, I was very angry with my father. And um, but then somehow I'd also ended up in engineering. So I was surrounded by all these men who then spent most of my first probably five to ten years in the industry telling me I didn't belong. Because we are talking back in the very early 90s, before discrimination acts were a thing and before equality was really a conversation that people were bringing to the table. And so I got told by, you know, the space I chose to be in that I didn't belong there, uh, I wasn't supposed to be there. And so you can imagine as a 20-something-year-old hearing that from her childhood um, to, you know, to, to working in that, there was a lot going on in my brain. Um, so wait, let me so, put the brakes. 
because I like to kind of interject a little bit so that I can mm. get a clearer picture of what's going on. All right. So you were angry with dad. Where was mom? Uh, look, she had been subjected to domestic violence all my life. I'm, you know, my first memories are of him beating the crap out of her, um, which is obviously for a very, very bad violence. <laughs> so, you know, she, she kind of disappeared. You know, she, she lives with me currently. She is still alive. He's not, and I celebrate that fact for her and myself every day. Um, but, you know, she'd kind of, by the time I got into any kind of teenage adulthood, she'd pretty much disappeared. She was on medication wow. and, you know, had, had Were you significant the only mental health. No, I have two younger sisters. Two younger sisters? Yeah. Um, they will tell their own story in their own time. We are not on good circumstances between us. Um, and, you know, some of that's just a little well, childhood. Ask, I'm going to ask and... for a healing in that. <laughs> Thank you. No, and you know what? And, and again, if nothing else but for your own comfort, because, you know, I had a dream about a family member of mine that tormented me uh, mm. mentally. I had a dream last night, actually. And you know what I said in my dream? I said, I forgive you. And that allowed me to forgive me. Because, you know, everybody's got their own journey. And I don't think that it's always about... Yeah about us it's about them and how they process stuff so absolutely and they have their journey so you know i wish them the best in that to be able to take care of mom you know you will get your wings for that because it's (laughs) well i need to because you know i did a lot of stuff in my in my career in child and not childhood my early adults that you know i had a lot of fun but yeah probably needs to offset with some wings So did you ever, you know, after you, you know, you finished school and everything, did you ever find love for yourself? Did you get married and have children? Um, I, I couldn't have children. Oh, well, I, just, I could have children, I suppose. But with the disease and then the medication they put me on, essentially I'm on immune suppressants. They're very similar to chemo that they give to cancer patients. But I'm on it for the rest of my life in a different sort of style of dosage to stop the side effects of um, the disease which is actually a benefit to me. It's one of the things I do actually love about Western medicine is that I do have that opportunity. It allows me to show up and, you know, be able to do my job and get paid well and all those things. So it's kept me in my career because I do suffer. I don't suffer. I have a lot of pain. Occasionally I suffer from it, but then I kind of, you know, smack myself and go, it's just pain. Get on with it. Eat it for breakfast. Just like Chuck Norris. Exactly. Um, But you know, a lot of people don't know what that, um, rheumatoid arthritis is an immune uh, autoimmune disease you think that it's cramping and stiffening of the muscles but they don't understand the intricate work of it Mm. and how deep it could go and how severe it could be it can be again like i said crippling and disabling so well um, yeah able to to work through that and you know to be able to sustain a quality of life which is really good which is really good thank you and just on that note, I was actually told at that age, I think 19, when they finally figured out what it was, that I'd be in a wheelchair by the time I was 24. I'd be, you know, probably dead by the time I was 40 because of the rampant effects this disease was having on my body. And so, of course, me being me, I'm you know, already in a rebellious state in my work, kind of really rebelled against that. And that was probably the defining moment of my life where I kind of went, you know what, I could give up, I can check out, I can you know, just kind of go, this is my life and use that to achieve less, um, shall we say, or I could really just go, you know what, no way, I am going for gold. And this isn't going to stop me any more than anything else in my life has. And that's the path I chose. 
Exactly. But you're also a very powerful writer. You're a contributor to WB40, Women Beyond 40, uh, and also Florence Magazine. Tell us a little bit about your contributions to those periodicals. So Florence Magazine is actually a new magazine in Australia, specifically designed for women in trades, women in building and women in construction. So, you know, every couple of months they put out a, 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 a magazine, a new episode, I suppose. And yeah, I write a sort of a mindset short article in that, just kind of about what it's like to be a woman in construction and, you know, sort of trying in some modern modern things. Like, you know, I tried to do a lot of positive stuff during the um, C19 COVID years, just to kind of remind people that there is a community out there, even though we might all be feeling isolated. Um, so yeah, so that's a, that's a passion project. And then the other one is also a passion project. A beautiful friend of mine, Sandy Lowry's, started this magazine a, a couple of years ago. And yeah, I just wanted to be really supportive of her dream because she's really addressing that kind of women being invisible beyond 40 and trying to showcase all the amazing stuff that's happening as you as you said in your intro when women kind of get free time after the kids and you know achieve a certain level in their career and they're looking for me time sandy and her, her magazine women beyond 40 really really celebrate that and so i'm you know i'm incredibly passionate about supporting that dream for her so yeah occasionally i contribute an article to, to her those are beautiful to be able to write, to be able to verbalize yourself. I tell people all the time, journal. It doesn't have to be this long uh, thought out process. Just grab mm -hmm. a pencil and piece of paper and connect the brain to the hand. You wouldn't believe what a release that is. But then also how you feel when on the other side, someone is receptive to that. Someone has been able to grab hold and say, wow, you know, I'm feeling this and I'm not alone. And this is some great suggestions. So again, bravo for doing that uh, and Thank sharing that, that work with individuals. So what would you tell a younger version of yourself if you were about 20 or mm. 25? What would you say to yourself? I'd have quite a bit to say to myself back then, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, there's lots of pearls of wisdom out there, all the things, but I think the one message that um, would really resonate is it gets better. It really does. It gets better. And so how do we, how do we start to make it better? What was your aha moment? What was the, you know, the, the redesigning of your life where you said, you know what, I'm turning down this noise. This is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. I want to be better. I want to show up a different kind of way. There was the first one, obviously, with the arthritis. That was the big pop, like I'm not giving in. Um, then it took me probably about 10 years diving deep into my, you know, psyche, into my brains, into my behaviours, uh, you know, all those thought patterns. I, you know, God, you know, I did every, you know, Eastern and mystic tradition out there, Reiki, meditation, all of the stuff, you know, acupuncture. I tried everything. I'm pretty sure I literally tried everything. And none of that worked until I started digging into my own brain and the thought patterns when I came across NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And that was probably a really powerful tool for me to understand that a lot of my self-talk was actually from my childhood, was actually from my surroundings, you know, that constant, you don't belong here. It was everyone else telling me that. And so when I really broke that down and realised that that's, 
is actually completely opposite to what I told myself at 18, is that I do belong here, was probably the next big, you know, big aha explosion. And so when I kind of realised that, the power of then owning my own journey and realising that having overcome all of those things was actually a remarkable achievement, let alone still being uh, able-bodied, functioning, able to go to work um, beyond 24, which I was pretty much told was a pipe dream. To be in a fairly high-powered job by then, I'd been, you know, by my early, by my, sorry, my late 20s, I'd been in management for about five years. So quite, and that's quite unusual in a male-dominated environment. Um, if you imagine back then, like we're still talking, you know, late 90s, I was in management in, in construction. And so that was fairly unusual and a testament to my skill, ability, knowledge and effort. And so putting this picture together, of, <laughs> I guess, of who I was without all that childhood language was, it showed me that I was actually quite remarkable. Absolutely. So you found that self-love and that self-evaluation. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's hard for people to do because the outside yep. world says, oh, again, the naysayers, you can't, this is, you know, you're not going to be able to do this. The doctors are saying this, you know, well, they're practicing. Oh, medicine. yeah. They're doing the very best that they can. I get that. Of course. But they do not know your story. Uh, and then you, you have family trauma and all that. So mm -hmm. you're an overcomer. You're a seeker. Where do you see yourself in the next maybe five years, six years? What are your dreams? What are your goals? Okay. Um, yeah, I kind of have to reset them all. So remember I said I wasn't going to live past 40? Well, that's what I was told. And so I really bought into that belief. So I spent my, my 40th birthday in the U.S. traveling around to sort of celebrate that milestone. And so when I got home, I kind of went, wow, I've just made it past that milestone. I've hit everything in my bucket list because I had a deadline, you know. So I'm like, I've done this. I've flown helicopters. I've jumped out of planes. So, you know, I'm, I'm cramming it all in. And so I kind of went, oh, okay, now what? So I'm still, and what I love about this is that I'm still making a bucket list every day. Instead of having this deadline and going, just cram it all in and don't take a moment don't be in the moment just tick the list right so now I don't really have a list now I have some goals but I have the idea of every day ticking something off a bucket list whether it just be going today was a good day or today I had a powerful conversation or today I'm having a fantastic podcast with April and, you know, talking to women all across the world through the medium of you and your brains, which is fantastic. And so in terms of goals, because that was a long way to get to this point, I would love to hit a bestseller list. You know, I'm really passionate about writing. I'm working on a book coach uh, deal at the moment with a, with a memoir and I have a, an anthology I've had to put on hold but really want to get back to early in the in the new year and you know at some point have that name and rights recognition you know that that sort of because it's not over yeah but it's not over till it's over and Absolutely. i tell people to dream the impossible dream i keep telling myself i want to paraglide and so Ooh, I think, lovely yeah, 
Yeah, and there's a beautiful uh, glider pool <clears throat> not too far from my home. So I am going to do that. I don't really necessarily have the need to jump out of a plane, no, but I do want to fly. Yeah. I do want to fly. And so I am going to do that uh, and travel the world, be with Mr. Magnificent, but be grateful. Be grateful okay. for everything and be gracious. You know, tell people thank you. Say please. May okay. I? Uh, not be no, angry. It's, it's, because mm -hmm. it's so much weight on you when you are angry. So let's ask some fun things about you, Beck. Sure. If you were an appliance in the kitchen of all places, what appliance would you be and why? I would be the cleaver. The kitchen oh, machete. Boy. <laughs> the kitchen machete. The weapon you drag out when you need business done and something <laughs> just sorted. <laughs> I love it. You're the first machete I've had. Yes. And heat cleaver. I love it. I believe it. I am the uh, air fryer. <laughs> oh, efficient, economical, yes. and, and healthy. I like it. It's healthy. Let's say, and it gets it gets the job done. That's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. If you were a flower in the garden, what flower would you be? Oh, Belladonna. Don't say stinkweed. No. <laughs> or poison no, no, ivy. I, Don't say that. Yeah, no, I rate myself higher. Belladonna. Poisonous if you use it the wrong way. Beneficial if you use me the right way, but do not mess with me. All right. It doesn't want to be messed with. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? Oh, lion. Like lion? top of the food chain. Lioness, to be perfectly honest. Top of the food chain. Powerful, protective, but nobody messes with me and my kids. I love that. I love that. I'd be the party animal. <laughs> oh, well, that would be the second option. Yeah, when I'm, when I'm not protecting, I'm partying. Absolutely. <laughs> if you had three magical wishes, what would they be? Oh, well, cure arthritis for everybody in the world because it's a horrid disease. And I'll take the next two for me. So I'm going to go, you know what, if it's a magic wish, get me on that bestseller list. But make sure it's a good book. Don't just, you know, phone it in. And the third one... Mm. you know what the power for everybody to read and understand how reading books can change their lives yeah the power of reading and people don't do that now uh no. i i love it when it's cold when it's cold i make this wonderful little hot toddy or i have a you know bowl of soup and some crackers and i'll cuddle up with the book but other than that i'm into audiobooks because i want the information quick and slick, but there's nothing mm -hmm. like feeling a book and turning the pages and sitting it down and using your imagination. So I encourage that too. I encourage parents to do a lot of reading. Now you are an avid writer. Let's see a little bit of your work uh, that you have created. Let me see the book that you've written. Okay. So this is um, one that was done in Australia, Changemakers. This actually was launched at a very, very particular time in history, um, International Women's Day, March 8, 2020. Um, and that month should resonate with a lot of people because that was the month the world closed. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, um, very timely. Uh, this one, oh, this one was very exciting. I'm just going to make sure I get that in the camera. Warrior, Warrior Queen. It's answering the call of the Morrigan. Uh, so this is done by Girl God Anthologies. They do a lot of work in this space. And um, it's all about, I suppose, telling a, a story or, or sort of investigating how, you know, for example, the Morrigan, who is who was known as a powerful Irish Celtic goddess, shows up in the world for you. So this is a very interesting 
right for me. I sort of, I sort of turned the story I told you into mythology um, and made it like a fairy tale, you know, once upon a time a girl was born. Um, and so that was a really powerful piece of writing for me with that one. I'm very, very proud of that. I love that cover. That's beautiful. It is, isn't it? I think one of the, one of the artists um, in the book actually did that cover for them. So you can find that on Amazon. Um, you can find all of these on Amazon. So the first book I ever contributed to that gave me the bug in writing is this one it's called The Female Leader. Now, I'm not actually fond of this cover, but that's one of the downsides of being in the anthology. But you can immediately see sort of the power in it. Um, okay. Why? Is that not you? You don't like a pair of red pumps? <laughs> I love a pair of red pumps. But to me, in terms of female leader, I think that really buys into a stereotype that we kind of perpetuate a bit because I'm a leader in boots. I wear steel cap boots every day. So this really doesn't resonate with me as a leader in terms of the image. Plus well, the every, well, but everybody doesn't have a hard hat and a machete. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But, you know, with my arthritis, I also can't wear heels. So, yeah. So as the first book I was involved in, I, um, yeah love the energy that comes with it but it really kind of helped me define my leadership style because that didn't work for me so that was really what is your process when you go into that headspace of wanting to write where do you go do you go to a you know do you do a little meditation before do you light some incense because i do put on some music how do you get your vibe how do you get in that space i'm just pausing because i need to yell how how do i get in the space i use music um, music is my medium. I was a music tart in my younger years. There wasn't a music concert I didn't attend. So I kind of, you know, check in with what I'm feeling and what I'm feeling and about the writing I'm doing. So what's the energy of the writing? Am I kind of trying to be powerful? Am I trying to be compassionate? Then I will pick a music list that sort of matches that and I'll put that on. Usually the first song or two is me just kind of, you know, getting in the vibe and feeling the music and then I'll just you know put my fingers on the keyboard and go and usually that first sort of outlet is very sensory you know it's kind of the passion I want to bring to the story it's not necessarily exactly what I want to say but I kind of pour that passion out in that first uh, run so to speak to to kind of get to where I want to go with the message I'm writing so and I, I feel like I probably do that for most of my writing, I don't think I vary too much. Sometimes I've just, I've got a deadline, I'm just going to sit down and make it happen. Usually that involves some sort of rock metal type, you know. <laughs> like get her, get, her done. Big, get her done. Big noise, big energy. That's right. That's right. That get it done. You know, I've got a, I've got a playlist, right? 50 songs. I'm going to do a thousand words before this is finished. Exactly. You know, it's, yeah, I it's, appreciate that. So what would you tell an inspiring writer? Someone that, you know, wants to put pen to pad, but feels, number one, like they don't have anything to say, which is not true. Everybody mm -hmm. has a story. But what would you say to an inspiring writer? Just write. Just start writing, whether it's pen to paper, whether it's typing on a keyboard, whether it's notes on your mobile phone while you're sitting on a train or public transport. Just start pouring uh, your heart out is the, is the only way. Like, you know, I think it was Ray Bradbury who said, you know, Writers just basically open a vein and bleed their emotions onto the page. Um, and it's, it's a very powerful thing. So, and the other sort of thing to get really clear is writing is very different to publishing. 
So for those who get the idea they want to write a book, start with just what you want to write because the minute you get into publishing, you will disappear down a rabbit hole. There are so many options of self-publishing open up. There are so many sharks in the water that will play to your ego and take your money and, and promise you the world with your book. You can pay to receive a bestseller status these days. Like there's so many things going on. It's so overwhelming for someone who wants to step into this space. So don't go down that rabbit hole, just write. Just start putting words down in some way or other. Find out if you love it. Find out if you want to keep going. Find out if you're actually prepared to commit to it because every writer will tell you, you don't find time to write, you just make it happen. Because life happens around you. You know, we've all got jobs. You know, writers cannot support themselves these days. But one of the sort of the big ticket million dollars, that is a very rare occurrence. Um, and the you know, top Australia, three things that, uh, that a writer should know. I always say, uh, again, like you said, write. But number mm-hmm. two, find a good editor. No matter oh, what, please, yes. no matter how many times you read it. That's not my forte. I pay where I'm weak. But when mm-hmm. people are looking at you in text, you know, there's going to be a certain judgment. Um, there is, yes. I grew up dyslexic. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's still a challenge there. So I need to have somebody dot my I's, cross my T's. And also, if you publish a book to sell, cut and pick and sell it. If you give it away, it becomes a pamphlet. If mm-hmm. someone purchases it, now it's an investment. They are going to read it. They have some skin in the game. That is very, very true. If you go ahead on, you know, these big box online publishing companies or uh, retailers, you really lose a lot of your revenue. Yep. So have online book signings, republish your book, repurpose your book. It's brand new to the person who's never read it. Correct, Matt? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think on that too, find your audience because your family, your friends, disappointingly so, will not be your audience. And that's not because they don't love you. It's just because you are not necessarily going to hit the beat that resonates with them. So find your audience and do that while you're exploring your whole publishing genre and title and content and actually share that journey to find your audience it's one of the best ways to build up that sort of marketing because you know when you write these days you can't just write and you know be obscure and never see anyone sort of the way Stephen King used to um and still be popular and famous and well known that's just those days are gone you have to market you have to be able to pitch and when you're a first, when you're a writer you have to be very introverted so these things can really set you off and put you back and stop you from really getting that story that you want to tell out. So tell the story first, then work your way through the process of getting it out into the world and ask lots of questions, you know, just really, really get informed or, um, and something I do uh, is uh, book coach. And there's, there's a rise in book coaching because there's so many scams and sharks and so many ways to lose your money in this game. But equally there's so many, issues in the game like with the rise of ai there's books that you know robots are writing and they my thing with that is you can use it to help you you can use it to generate ideas yes but it can't put soul and emotion into words it can only regurgitate what it's been taught so bring your own passion to your own words have faith that someone will read it if that's what you need to get you to the end 
but mostly believe in yourself that you have, as you started this conversation, a story to tell and that's worth going through the process. Absolutely. And it's so freeing and you're leaving a legacy brains. You know, I, I worked with the, in the recording industry, television, film, books, these things will go on for generations. I mean, we're still looking at I Love Lucy and we're still uh, reading I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. These how many times have we replayed? How many times have we replayed Mash on our televisions across the world because it just hits that popular no matter what era? Uh, you know, yeah, Faulty Towers is another one for the for your UK audience. You know that there were so few episodes in that, and yet it gets replayed so often because we just we love what we love, and so yeah, there will be a legacy, and it resonates because some of the things that's on television right now, and some of the songs. I don't know how these people are making money with all this profanity and, you know, they don't even play music now. They it, It's synthesized this, you know, what happened to playing the actual guitar, the piano, what's getting, what's, what's doing that connecting with the brain, but you have well, been yeah. Thank you. wealth of information. I appreciate you so much. Tell my brains how to get in contact with you, how they can purchase a copy of one of the books uh, and even consult you as a book coach or a mentor because you are a strong lion with a meat cleaver <laughs> that's right i will teach you to believe in yourself when no one else does least of all you so um best way to, to contact me there we are words of beck b-e-k that is my instagram handle you'll find that as my personal anthology on amazon and uh smash words <clears throat> excuse me uh you'll find me on my author page on facebook at words of beck or um all the W's, wordsofbeck.com.au, because I am in Australia. Uh, and, yeah, I, I'd love to receive connections. I'd love to receive any, any kind of feedback. Um, certainly all writers love reviews on their books too. So if you do read it, please do reach out and let me know. And, um, yeah, I just I love the connections through the social media because I am very busy in my personal life with my full-time role. Uh, it gives me a chance to reply to you particularly if you're around the world in a, in a more appropriate time. So send me a message. You want to say hi, you want to compliment my book, or you want to talk to me about coaching and mentoring in, in the writing space or the uh, women in construction space. I'd love to hear from you. Well, ladies, I need you to build on what she has put down and pour down as a foundation. If you are looking, again, to just express yourself, you may not have aspirations of being a number one bestseller, which you should, because I want you to dream big. But if you don't, uh, structure, design, editing, what the process looks like. This might be a children's book that you want to do and, and incorporate something with your children. You never know where this will lead to. Everybody has an incredible story. It's just a story that needs to be told. Thank you so much, Beck, for being here on the edge with me and my brains. Brains, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go in and subscribe. Love, like, share, and subscribe. Leave a comment. If you think this is great, great. If you don't think it's great, leave me a comment so that I can improve and I can be better as long as you're kind. There it is. Thank you so much, Beck. I look forward to uh, other great edgy conversations and books coming from you. You're the best. Thank you so much, April. It's been fabulous. All right. Bye, Brains. Thank <laughs> you.